three, two, one, and we're live. Today on the Mikey Show podcast, we have Paul Hughes. Paul is the president of Grow Calgary, an incredible organization that has some issues right now that we're going to be talking about. And before we get into the interview, I'm going to ask all the listeners to please share. Please share this, and you're about to find out why that's important. Paul, welcome so much. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Good to, uh, good to talk to you. 100%. So uh, if you could give us a bit of a background, what is Grow Calgary? Well, Grow Calgary's nickname is uh, the Veggie Zoo. We grow a lot of vegetables. Um, we fundamentally believe that everyone has a right to eat well and that it's enshrined in not only our charter but also in the United Nations Human Rights Declaration, Article 25, which is a right to food. Uh, as you know, a lot of people, as your listeners might know, a lot of people are challenged that way. They make harsh decisions on a daily basis around their food. And that's what started Grow Calgary. So where you and I go shopping and we reach onto the shelves to buy what we need to buy, some people reach in their pockets to find out if they have enough money to actually buy something and then go on to either not buy something or buy something inferior. And we are what we eat. We've been told that for since we were kids. You know, finish your veggies, eat your veggies. A lot of people are not getting, do not have access to good nutrition. And so what happens is it then um, shows up in the healthcare system and as food-related illnesses. Um, and so we can see how a lack of nutrition uh, can have an impact on development. And it ends up costing not only the individual, but taxpayers a considerable amount of money. So we sought to uh, remedy that by creating a farm. And the farm was created. Uh, we identified a parcel of land, public land, crown land, and we decided to build on that crown land. So um, uh, we were able to uh, sign a lease uh, with the government. Uh, we looked at a whole bunch of different properties, and we were directed toward a certain um, property and uh, told that, hey, there's, there's two pieces of land here, a surplus and a, uh, the TUC, and if you develop the surplus, there shouldn't be any problems in the future if they decide to build a road. Now, what year did uh, this launch? When did you open the doors at Grow Calgary? Well, in 2008, I came back to Calgary, and I uh, started the Calgary Food Policy Council and the Alberta Food Policy Council, uh, another organization called CLEC, and I, was, I just got really into food politics, and, and uh, I thought that this was some way that I could, my personal activism could uh, manifest itself or person-fest itself or whatever the acceptable term is here in 2019, um, and uh, where I could actually do something. I'm, I'm not really very good at holding up a sign and demonstrating and protesting that way. I, I wanted to do something tangible that actually created real change and would impact people in a substantial, substantive way. So we, uh, we, we sought to find the actual lamp. And, um, and start to initiate that. So in 2008, we uh, started looking around. Um, I came up, I came up with this idea to start a farm. Uh, I was getting really tired of going to meetings. Um, and maybe some of your your listeners would relate to that. Um, there's a lot of talk in the poverty, what I call poverty incorporated or the poverty industrial complex. A lot of meetings and things like that, but not a lot of action. So I wanted to generate some action here. And so in 2008, we started looking around. Uh, 2009, we 
got our first little bite with the government, but then it took four years to actually get on the land. So this has been going on for, well, we're around coming up to 10 years now of trying to do this. Uh, we just finished our sixth season of growing. That's incredible, Paul. And the challenges that you're having right now, uh, you, you've been around for a while, and now there's a petition going around to keep you open. So who's trying to shut you down and why? The government of Alberta, ironically enough, is trying to shut us down. And just to give you a little bit of background really quickly, that um, we have people from all over the world that know about Grow Calgary. We are Canada's largest community farm. Everything we grow, we donate. And this has caught the attention of a lot of people in food activism, food security, food insecurity, food justice circles, food access circles, uh, nutrition health circles around the world. And we were contacted by uh, some people that are doing a study, and they said, you know, what's your number one challenge, Mr. Hughes? Like, what, what, it must be Mother Nature. It must be the weather, you know, growing in Canada. And I said, no, it's government. It's government. It's the it's provincial government and it's the city government, uh, municipal government. And, and they're constantly unrelenting with us. Um, what are you doing this? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? So we are a massively undercapitalized organization. So, they're, you know, we have to do things in a way that, you know, not – isn't desirable in some ways, but we don't come up with excuses not to do things. We come up with excuses to do things. So we might not have all the money we want, and it might not always be as uh, shiny, and not everything is new, and we repurpose and upcycle a lot of things, but we, we continue to build. So the government is the, the Alberta government is the entity that is trying to remove us from our farm right now. Why do you believe that the government is anti-independence, um, anti what you're doing like why would they uh, do you believe that there's a motivation behind why they are giving you so much grief that's the question right there mark um this is an ndp government that comes from a background of a guy named tommy douglas he was one of the guys who started this and he was you know voted canada's uh, most famous uh most important canadian and um and and tommy douglas was really an important uh figure in, in in Canadian politics, and has had uh, has cast a long, long shadow on on everything, um, and has, in, has you know has quite an influence on how we conduct ourselves as Canadians to this day. And he came from a, an agrarian background. He was you know a preacher in, in farm country in Saskatchewan, and his first the first people that he worked with were farmers, because back then ninety percent of us were farming. And so um, the proud heritage of this particular uh, political institution, the NDP, is based on farming and agriculture. And this particular government has seen, seems to forget that. And so um, I don't really know their motivation. Um, it's hyper-political. Um, personally, I am a bit of, of a controversial figure. Um, I'm not really good at the uh, proverbial uh, kissing butt. Um, and, and I do definitely, that, my constituents are... That, 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 that's a veterans thing, Paul. Uh, <laughs> a lot of us struggle with that. Yeah, we, absolutely. We just say it the way it is, and we don't back down. It's just that's just how we're wired. Exactly, exactly. So, so and, and, but, you know, it's not just to be confrontational. I don't have some kind of a... a uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't have a, I don't have this. Uh, in, I don't have in me this something called uh, I think it's called um, uh, oppositional defiance disorder or something like that. I don't do it to just just to cause a ruckus. I do it because I believe in it, and the people that I work with, we believe in that. And as an individual, as the executive director and president of Grow Calgary, uh, my job is to definitely uh, represent my organization. 
just like we did when we were in the military. Um, you know, if if one of the if one of the members or one of their buddies was in trouble, we were there to stand up for him or her and ensure that you know uh, they were given um, a fair proceeding. And so we weren't doing it. We don't do it just to to cause a disturbance. We're doing it because we fundamentally believe in this issue. And so the government uh, doesn't like that. They want us to fall in line uh, very, very quickly. And so, you know, I did my basic training and, uh, you know, I'm not willing to do it again with the government. And so, but I am, I do expect my government to support ideas that um, have massive social good. And in this case, with Girl Calgary and having uh, helped be part of 350,000 meals, 30,000 volunteers, and 17,000 free field trips for our youth to, uh, you know, introduce them to all kinds of different things from composting and pollination, greenhousing, hydroponic systems, uh, irrigation, water capture systems, those types of things, uh, early germination, harvesting, the whole nine yards. We do all kinds of things with the kids. And they get a chance to do something hands-on, uh, and it's free. We call ourselves the uh, poor man's telespark. What are your sources so of funding? How, how do you keep the doors open? There's not, uh, you don't have actual doors, but uh, <laughs> yeah, as a figure of speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty challenging, Mark. Uh, thank you for recognizing that. But, you know, we, you know in, the, in the Princess Pats, we uh, were very innovative and very creative. And so, you know, I, when I was serving and maybe when you were serving, you know, we didn't have all the best stuff. But you know what? We would scrounge, we'd find different things, and we're really proud. We have a proud history of making it happen. And you know, we gotta figure it out. And you might not have the tools that you actually need in the field sometimes, um, but you figured it out. And that's what we do at the farm. And so we've been able to temper our expectations. Not everything is shiny out there, but we still deliver. So we have this um, greenhouse uh, concept that we call the $5 greenhouse. And it's built from reused wood and reused plastic and things like that. And it pumps out, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tomatoes every year. And uh, it costs us $5 to build. And it's been running for five years. So we don't need everything to be brand new. So we've uh, tempered our expectations and uh, we've been able to conduct our business. Uh, and it's been um, reasonable in the costs that are associated with it. And our per unit cost on the food that we grow is incredibly low. It's, it's unrivaled, actually. Um, you know, less than a penny a pound uh, for tomatoes is, is, is incredible. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's just being innovative and creative. So we're able to, to make it happen. But it is certainly a challenge. When you opened up, Paul, uh, both the provincial and federal government was conservative. Now, which government has been more friendly towards you, and um, which one has been more of an obstacle, the conservative or the new liberal and NDP governments? Um, surprisingly, and I thought everybody said, oh, you must be really happy because uh, Rachel Notley has been elected. And, and at first we're like, yeah, this is going to be great, you know, based on you know, kind of what you would think um, their position would be on this. We thought, yeah, this is going to be great. Maybe we'll finally get a couple of dollars from ducats from the government and, and some more supports, and maybe infrastructure will back off a little bit on us, and they'll be more participatory and supportive. No, it was exactly the opposite. In fact, almost immediately it was confrontational. And so to, uh, to answer your question, I would say that the government that, that was um, ruling at the time that um, allowed us to get on the land, which was a conservative government, and it was uh, Minister Drysdale, actually, that uh, pulled the trigger and helped us get on the land. Um, that 
that government was incredibly supportive of us. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, shocking to some of us. But not, to, but not to say, not to say that the conservative government doesn't understand this. And I start, I think that they're starting, there's starting to be an understanding around poverty. But this is something that is really quite simple. It's a, it's a matter of lack of money. And if we don't deal with it directly, it will come back and bite us in the ass. So we end, we're going to pay for this if, anyway, regardless. If we deal with it and we come up with solutions that reduce the burden on taxpayers, then you start to find some support from more of the conservative circles. Because I do get that. I am a poverty, anti-poverty activist, and I do get the, you know, well, get a job kind of thing. Well, it's not that simple. Poverty isn't that simple uh, as just getting a job. And so it's much more complex than that. And so while we want to dummy it down and just think that it's just about getting a job, um, and you can do that until the cows come home, it's not going to solve poverty. So you're going to have to have a more of an innovative and creative approach to it. And so our goal has been to respect the taxpayer and diminish the burden on the taxpayer and still try to solve the issue, the complex issue of eradicating, eradicating poverty. Paul, about how many people would you guess or do you know with any certainty, how many people are relying on Grow Calgary? Uh, that's a tough number uh, for me to come up with. Um, even after doing this for about six years, we do know that the organizations that we contribute to, and we do have a veterans uh, program, veterans uh, health program. We do have a Healthy Heroes program that we just launched. We're actually looking for volunteer um, members uh, of uh, ex-members of the military, veterans, to participate in that. Um, but we have to date been part of 350,000 meals. So I don't know what those numbers, what that, uh, what, how many of those vulnerable meals, what that distills down to in the actual number of people, but 350,000 meals is a lot of meals. In a so, year? You know, it's, it, it's in, the, in, the, in the six seasons that we've been involved. Okay, so in six, uh, in six right years, there's been, th- so about 50,000 meals per year is what you're providing. Yeah, and, and so what, what's happened is a farm just doesn't sort of happen. It's, it, it develops and it grows and it takes some years to, like we had basically had a gravel pit and we've had to amend the soil and make the soil healthy and healthy. So this last year, we probably grew about a quarter of the total contribution that we have in our history because the, the soil is now so healthy. And that's one of the sad things about this whole move off of the um, off of the surplus land is that that land is now incredibly viable. And uh, we put six years of TLC into that. We've built the soil up so that it's, it's nutrient-dense. It's some of the best soil you'll find in this country. And, um, and we're ready to grow like, and, and really start for it to kick in now after all that hard work. So what, so, what actual uh, actions are the government taking to slow you down and, sh- and try to shut you down right now? Like what are they physically doing to, do, to well, make that happen? They've, they've, they've told us that they're terminating our lease on both the transportation utility corridor, which we said, absolutely, you know, build the ring road, and we're not here to get in the way of building the ring road. There's no opposition from us whatsoever. That's a, that's a complete fabrication. I don't know who is saying that, that we're trying to block the ring road, but that is completely false, and I uh, categorically deny any opposition to that. We have been, since the day we got the letter, we're like, yep, Build the road. I guess you're building the road. Yay, build the ring road. 
it's the surplus side. They want us to they want to terminate the lease on the surplus side as well. Now we have been able to do from from our research and our meetings, uh, our discussions, our consultations, um, and all the information that we've been able to get. There's no reason for them to actually access the surplus. They don't need to the surplus to build the road. This is our argument, and this is what we're trying to get out there, Mark. Is that they do not require the surplus. They need the PUC side of it, and we said, have it. Of course, it's yours, but the surplus, they don't need it, but they still want us off of there, and this is what we're trying to understand. So we've been asking for six months, why do you need the surplus? And they have not been able to provide us with an answer because we believe it has something to do with a lot of the development pressure in that area. They're never going to develop surplus. So when you look at a map, there's a little component of it, and they're never going to be able to uh, develop the surplus side of the um, uh, of our lease. Um, it's, it will never be developed. It's never developed beside Valley Ridge. It's never developed anywhere on the TUC. It's going to remain surplus. So a community farm is ideal for that area. It's never going to be a built urban-built realm. It's never going to be built up. Um, there's never going to be buildings there, per se, or residences or anything like that. Have, so you, been, farms, I, have you been looking for or have you been able to secure any pro bono legal representation? Not yet. Not yet. We have not. We have talked to many lawyers. We had Burnett, Duckworth & Palmer, BDP, which is a fairly high-profile firm. We had signed a, um engagement letter with them. Uh, and then it came out that there was a conflict of interest and they had to withdraw, um, which is unfortunate um, because they were really excited about working with us and they thought, they thought that we had a very, very strong position. Um, there is a part of our lease that allows the government to amend it. They're, right now, as it stands with the government, they are not, they're intransigent, intransigent. They're not willing to discuss anything to do with the farm. They will. They're, they're completely unwilling and refusing to change their view. Um, we can't find anything to agree on. They're inflexible. Um, and um, the bottom line is, they, they. I've seen this type of thing before. The truth is, they probably want to develop that land and sell it to a developer so that they have the tax revenue, and they just want to, want you out of there so that they can have more tax revenue. That, that's quite possible. Um, it, uh, you know, and so we have also through because this has been going on for ten years. And we have knocked on a lot of different doors. We, had, we initially, four years ago, we reached out and said we want to be part of a formal consultation and engagement, which means we just want to sit down with them and start talking about what the future looks like so we could prepare for that. They denied us every single time, 15 different requests to engage, and they just kept denying. So, you know, that's not democracy. And this is a, a government that apparently is about transparency and, you know, respects the working family and, and respects people that are living in poverty and vulnerable and, you know, we work with a community organization like ours. They, they don't. They, they, they continually are unaccommodating. They're single-minded. Um, they're very, very rigid and hidebound in their approach. They've been adamant about not doing anything with us. And this has been incredibly frustrating through the entire time, through the entire process. We've even made overtures of actually buying the land ourselves. So um, there's a way for the government to actually cede that land to an organization. Uh, there's a way for the government to sell the land, to dispose of it uh, as an asset. Um, they can gift it to us. There's a lot of different things they could do to ensure that we are we continue to exist and we have uh, we meet our continuance obligations. 
Don't you have a tiny? Don't you have a tiny home on your land as well? We have a number of micro homes because we had Canada's first micro home design build competition, uh, where we started to advance issues around shelter. And um, right now, it's costing anywhere from two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars a unit uh, to build a, a uh, one unit for one homeless person. And we're doing it for anywhere from all, one one of the homes is. We've spent $178 on it, and it's it's beautiful. It's it's I mean it's it's we've taken windows and, and wood that we found and scrounged and salvaged, but it's amazing. Um, it's insulated, fully insulated, has sliding doors. It's an amazing little unit for 170 bucks, right up to around $5,000. So somewhere in there. So we've been trying to advance ideas. We're not saying these are the panacea. We're not saying here this is the solution to all of your problems. We're not saying that. We're saying, could you look at this? And if you were actually able to put some of that billions and billions and billions of dollars of money that was given to, you know, the Homeless Foundation and other organizations to eradicate homelessness in the 10-year plan to end homelessness, and we could have diverted it into something else other than just apartment complexes, um, we may be able to have actually solved homelessness. And so that is a massive burden on the taxpayer, massive burden. We're talking about a tenth of that money being used to solve homelessness, at least transitional homelessness, and then we can start to look at other things. But if you're living under a bridge or in the drop-in center or in a tent, you know, a microhome is a castle, and it brings back dignity. And some of those people, not that they're better than others, some of those people are veterans. Some of these people who are um, living homeless, um, are, are living rough, are on the street, um, are, are veterans. And we, are, have, we have not been able to simply solve a very, uh, what we think is a very achievable uh, solution through homeless, through a micro-home building. Are you, and so it's, it's, some, it's part of it. Uh, Paul, are you familiar with the Legacy Project and Dave Howard? Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep, we know all about it and uh, we support it and we need, we need that, that's, that's, for some, that's for some veterans. And mm-hmm. what we need is we need hundreds of those. And what our, our, our approach has been to do it through um, uh, a smaller community-minded, uh, a smaller unit. So basically the size of a platoon for, for your uh, listeners who are in the military, but, I, but also provide the supports as well. Because, again, poverty is incredibly complex, and you're not going to just – you're not going to just um, solve it by putting somebody in a home and running away. You have to front-end load the entire process. So it's just like putting a kid on the ice in hockey or football or soccer um, on the field. We don't just put our kids out in the ice and go, oh, here, five-year-old, uh, you know, uh, Bobby, uh, go out there and learn how to play the game, dad and mom and all the coaches, we're going to go have a Timmy's. No, we're right out there with the child. And so we front-end load that entire process. And so as they grow and as they mature, there's not as much coaching that's required, not as much management that's required, and so we can start to withdraw a little bit. But when we first deal with poverty, it's got to be front-end loaded. And that's going to give us the, 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 the lowest rates of recidivism, so we're not having people that are going through that revolving door and going back into poverty. Earlier on, I, 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 uh, it, I had asked about funding. What are your actual sources of funding right now? Like, where does it come from? Um, so private donations. 
private donations. Uh, we've uh, 100% has been coming from citizens and, and private uh, private individuals and corporations, and, and, and you know, we've gotten some donations from Boy Scouts and and, and Girl Guides and, and and soccer teams and hockey teams and you know uh, schools. Uh, one school did a fundraiser for us, uh, the, the Calgary Girls School. They came up with almost a thousand dollars, which we invested in seeds and things like that. So we, it comes from all sectors. Um, it comes from all sectors. We've been very, we've been very fortunate to have that kind of support. Is it possible to get a, um, a cannabis uh, a license and have a small part of it uh, produce in a greenhouse for for cannabis to help support the project? We have talked about that. We grew hemp. Uh, we started the first urban hemp uh, crop uh, since the Second World War uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, with a lady named Melody Mossing, who runs Hemp Reclamation. Uh, we have uh, one of our sponsors is Aurora Cannabis. Um, and so we have talked a little bit about that. Um, as it stands right now, everything we grow, we donate, and it's all been food. It's all been vegetables. So, you know, we are looking at some other things. We're just trying to survive this uh, attack from the government right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we, do, we don't even know if we're going to exist. Uh, the misinformation out there about this move is just uh, it's just crazy. Um, every day we're, we're fielding questions about, you know, where we're moving, and take you know take take the offer from the government. And it's like, well, the offer from the government is very very deceptive. And uh, as we've mentioned already during this uh, broadcast, that we you know we spent six years trying to build that farm. Well, the government doesn't value any of that. They're willing to move us to a new plot. But they do not value any of the work that's gone on. But then you're starting from zero years. with soil that's going to take six years before it's producing. Right away, it's just not gonna. It's gonna take us time to again build the farm and, and, and yeah. the infrastructure that's required, and they haven't valued that at all. So you know, e- even something, and it doesn't take a lot, but they just have completely ignored that part of infrastructure and social infrastructure. And we think it's value valuable. We believe it has substantial value. We think we contribute to our community. We think we're we're a proud part of our community. Um, but the NDP government's just throwing us just throwing us under Brian Mason's bus. Uh, he's actually one of the ringleaders in this whole thing. He has been very, very difficult. Uh, we've invited him out when he was first the infrastructure and transportation minister. Uh, he flat out refused to come to the farm. So it was confrontational right off the bat. He flat out uh, refused to even come to physically have a look. Yeah, he was in town. We, we invited him 20 times. Then Sandra Jansen got involved. She became the infrastructure minister. And so we reached out to Sandra because her office, we can see her office from the farm. So we invited her to come out. She's our new infrastructure minister where we work with infrastructure is the ministry that we work with the closest. And we invited her out. She said, yeah, well, come on, because let me get things, some things sorted out. 400 and some days later, still has not come out. Uh, promised to come out, still has not come out. She's right there. Um, all the NDP members that we've invited out, none of them have shown up. Deborah Drever showed up because she was our actual MLA. She stopped showing up. We're being completely ghosted by the NDP government. So... You know, it's really tough to have a negotiation with an organization that's just not willing to really talk to you. And when they do talk to you, um, they send in, you know, they send in the sacrificial lamb to talk to us. And that person says, oh, every time you ask something, they go, oh, I got to go back and talk to somebody else and find out what they say. So we're not really talking to the decision makers. And uh, every time they go back, they come back and the gentleman says to us, and we, we, we quite like this guy. He's been really good. But... Um, uh, he's one of the ex- uh, assistant deputy ministers in infrastructure, and he understands the issue, but he can't make any decisions. And every time he comes back, he's like, "Nope, nothing's changed. They won't change. They won't budge." And uh, so, 
we really can't have much of a conversation or negotiation. I can't even call it negotiations because no negotiations implies that people are just some back and forth, you know, and maybe there's a little bit of compromise. Well, there is no are movement. Are you whatsoever. up against all three levels of government or just the municipal government? Like, how is the NDP even relevant if it's a municipal affair? Um, because we're on an infrastructure land. Oh, on, so the, the provincial government land. matters then? So who, who's the M- who's the MLA for that area? Deborah Driver. And she's not yeah. showing up. No, she's just completely ghosted us. She doesn't respond to anything anymore. But you know, we, we know that the NDP and we know that a lot of times in party politics that you know when you're told not to do anything, you shut up and uh, you know and com- and comply. So you know, she's being ordered obviously to have no contact with us and to not do anything. So do you know which who is kind you? Of sad in a but- Paul, do you know who your shadow cabinet MLA is for that on the uh, UCP side? No, I don't. We don't know. I don't know that at the moment. We have reached out. Um, we, at a federal level, we know Ron Liepert, and he's been really, really good with us. Um, on the provincial side, we do not know um, who is our. No, we don't actually. So, so yeah, I think I think that's your that's your best step is um, find out who the shadow minister is for that area. Our shadow minister is John Barlow for Foothills region. And um, so find the shadow minister for the UCP and knock on that door. And if you're having any issues with that, let me help you with that. Yeah, absolutely. We um, we would uh, appreciate any assistance from anybody who has any ideas on on this. Um, And we are continuing to negotiate. We're really, really grateful for access to the land. Um, At the end of the day, I mean, we're not a commercial venture. We're completely compassionate. Everything we grow, we donate and give it away. Um, it's all done through volunteers. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to be treated specially, but we would, it's nice to have a little bit of respect from a government when you're dealing with people that are volunteering their time for the betterment of their community. I mean, that's, but we're not getting that at all. Well, an, an average of, an average of 50,000 meals a year that you're producing and it, and it, is unbelievable, Paul. And then all of a sudden, boom, we were ghosted. So 
um, it's really unfortunate. They're, they're, they're pulling numbers out of the air and just saying, hey, uh, we don't even have, they don't even have any of the agricultural people working with us because anybody who has any kind of a farming or agricultural background would know that it does, ha- does take time and it does take resources to get a farm up and running properly. Paul, do, so, you, do, you, have um, a Go, do you have a GoFundMe page or a Patreon account? Um, we have, right now, we have the, the, the petition, um, we have the petition that we're trying to promote. And then we also have a donation page, um, on our Facebook. Okay. You can donate on Facebook. So I'll, I'll send it to you in a, in a private message, but those are two resources that are, that can be huge for you and can really put it over the top as far as, um, uh, because things like this podcast, if you're to promote it and push it, uh, based on funds from a GoFundMe page at a Patreon and or a Patreon account, uh, you could be in, in good shape. I, I don't know if the Patreon is uh, re- relevant for what you're doing, but a GoFundMe page for sure. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Um, we're, we're open to all kinds of suggestions. Uh, you know, our volunteer organization has been pretty consumed just with these negotiations and trying to advance our position. So it's, uh, it, you know, um, we are at the end of the day, we are volunteers, um, and we are open to all suggestions um, and criticisms and ideas and whatever it is. I mean, we'll do the best we can, um, but we are in, a, in the scrap of our lives with this government. So we are we are trying to survive right now. All right. Well, Paul, thanks for being on the show and for sharing the story. Uh, we're just about out of time here, but we're going to be sharing this podcast everywhere we can. I'll be sending you the links so that you can share it as well. And if there's one thing that, or one person that would be the most helpful, who, like if you could sit down with one person right now to have a face-to-face with, uh, who would that be? I'd, I'd love to have the premier come and, and walk the farm and see what all these volunteers and what all these kids and youth have done and what we've built from nothing. I would really love to create that superior understanding. Um, so, um, yeah, unfortunately it would be that. I don't see that happening anytime soon, but, uh, yeah, it's, it'd be nice to see politicians walk the walk. So, Well, what you've created is, is absolutely spectacular. Uh, what you've achieved is unbelievable. And uh, God bless you for it, brother. It's, it, it's, it's incredible what you have achieved, and it's an absolute sin that uh, you're not receiving the support that's required to keep the ball rolling. It really is an odd situation, Mark. i got to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me about this issue and uh, to uh, do more than just scratch the surface and get down into the, into the nuts and bolts of it. I uh, really, really appreciate that, Mark. You're very welcome, and thank you for being on the show.